When the sun dips beneath the Santa Monica Mountains, it's time for another Death at Sunset, a Sunshine Noir radio play podcast starring Brad Davis, Kyla Shore, Clark Kohler, Nick Vienna, and Chris Maxwell. Music by Zach Pfeiffer, written by Chris Maxwell and Brad Davis, recorded, edited, and directed by Chris Maxwell. Last week, Detective Jack Dimes' stint as an Acapulco Beach Bar and Grill busboy ended with a drunken and physical interrogation of the restaurant's manager, Owen Lockcaller, resulting in the location of the missing Angel Valquez. With Angel found, the focus has shifted to a mysterious blue delivery truck and its connection to the city's recent booze shortage. Can Jack crack the case before crunch time? Find out on part three of Hard Times and Soft Drinks. It had to be 12 or 1 in the afternoon. Los Angeles was dry, parched, and was starting to shake with sobriety. Maybe it was an earthquake. Maybe it was just me. We both had plenty of faults. But for about 45 minutes now, I had remained perfectly still. I had made my way to the old warehouse off Angel's Tip. The alleged hooch hideout was filled with restaurant paraphernalia. Stacks of dusty dishware, a collection of chairs and stools, a wall of mismatched oil drums, and a vinyl banner advertising the limited run of a decadecibel burger from the Audible Burger chain. The burgers that they coat in cornflakes so they crunch when you bite into them. warehouse population had suddenly doubled. It was Dave, just as Angel had described him. Big guy, delivery truck, here. I dove down behind a large tin sign that read squeaky wheels and tried not to move. Or breathe. Or let my empty stomach growl like an attack dog at the thought of one of those decadecibel cheeseburgers.
He had switched out a few of the oil drums and was gone. I walked over to the eclectic collection of barrels and found that they were... all full. I pried the cap off one marked property of Acapulco Beach. I was hit pretty hard with the familiar stench of cheap tequila. Another barrel branded Cheesecake Factory was filled with vanilla vodka. Another, for our aforementioned squeaky wheels, only this time it wasn't the scent of a corresponding cocktail, but dark, thick kitchen grease. Smart. Dave was shuffling booze around town, mixing in old drums of grease to keep appearances up. The labels were from bars on restaurants across the city. Bar Marmont, Mastro's, Magic Johnson's TGI Fridays. Jerry's. I hoped for oil and was never so disappointed at seeing so much whiskey. Jesus, did Jerry play a part in all this? Or was it just a weird coincidence? A simple slip in the shuffle of barrels? Knowing both Jerry's morals and his luck, I figured Vegas odds were split. Like I needed an excuse to go anyway. When I arrived, there was a line of people out the door. Not something you see at a dive bar during the late lunch hours, or something you see at Jerry's ever. But I didn't expect to see Jerry's barrel in a stack of suspects either. Instead of trying to muscle through the crowd, I went around back to the service entrance. I've never seen Jerry move so fast. Cracking beers, pouring shots, and most importantly, collecting more cash and swiping more plastic than his register has ever seen. He caught me out of the corner of his eye and poured me a brew. By the time he caught up with the crowd, I was ready for another. Jerry handed me a second draft and relaxed against the bar rail. Busy day at the office. Supply and demand, Jack. That's what this is. Hey, the demand I get. It's the supply I don't quite understand, Jer. Delivery truck was outside when I came to unlock the bar this morning. Big guy named Dave insisted on fronting me a supply. Gives me a spiel about rejuvenating the small business, how we always loved the independent watering holes around L.A. A strange man fronted you this much hooch? Doesn't that seem a little suspicious? Listen, the booze business in this town has never been clean, Jack. But it's not so bad when it's your palms getting a little greasy. Let me guess. It was a spade's best truck, too. And people say you're not a great detective. Yeah, very funny. But from what I've heard, spade's best isn't too keen on joking around. I've just started looking into these guys, and I can't find the humor in randomly choosing to stock my bar. My bar, Jack. Of course, but you catch my drift. Sure, I do. What do you have on these guys? Nothing yet, but I just don't like the rumors I'm hearing. I don't make business decisions based on rumors. But I do appreciate you looking out for me. I'll watch my back. That's all I ask. Can I get another beer? Sure, Jack. And a shot? It's so easy how one turns into two, two into three, three into six, and, well, serious drinkers don't keep count anyway. But almost two hours had passed until I was finally able to grab a stool at the bar. The drinks were reviving me, but also making me drunk. I could still feel the throbbing of my bruises, but at least the pain behind them had dulled. I'd have hell of a hangover tomorrow if I didn't eat something soon. The citywide mentality of caloric intake had been clouding my appetite. It had been over a day since my last meal. My mind drifted back to that taco Mars made me buy. Mixing my main man, Mars. How's chemistry with you? What the hell are you talking about? What? Nothing. I... Oh, I just... Uh, never mind. Jesus, Jeff, you talk like a narc. How's my chem homework? Do you have Angel's location? Nah, I haven't heard anything. Then don't worry about the homework. 
I found him already anyway. Damn it, seriously? Yeah, Mars dead serious. He was dead? No. Well, for now he's alive, but listen, I have a way we can stay square with our deal. Can you do some research on a place called Squeaky Wheels? They had a barrel in the warehouse, and I just... Oh, man, did you eat there? I've heard awesome things about the food. Huh, I suspected it was a restaurant. I'll have to try it when I question the owner. Where is it? Chuck, it's not a restaurant. It's a food truck. It goes all around the city. Any way to pin down a location at a given time? Yeah, get on Twitter. What? Never mind. So you think you can find it, or do I just yeah, drive... Yeah, I can find it. Just give me a second, would you? Okay, okay. I just think they might be wrapped up in all this. On Museum Row until five. What was that? On Museum Row until about five p.m. I took my phone away from my face to check the time. Four thirty. Terrific. I found parking on Sixth and walked down to Wilshire through the tar pits. The hot sun had finally started to duck behind the Beverly Center and was casting long, cool shadows of the doomed animal statues across the park. Food trucks lined East Wilshire in the Miracle Mile, most of them gearing up for the after-work dinner rush to come. The Squeaky Wheels truck wasn't hard to spot. It said Squeaky Wheels real big on the side and had a cartoon mechanic in a chef's hat, or a cartoon chef wearing coveralls, holding an oil can, greasing the front tire. I took a seat on the ledge with the pigeons and inland gulls and clocked the long line of people stemming from the Squeaky Wheels window. Could this food be that much better than all these other trucks to justify waiting in this ridiculous line? It didn't matter. There was Delivery Dave stepping off the back of Squeaky Wheels with an oil drum on a dolly. He politely excused himself through the crowd of hungry people and made his way down the street. Sure enough, at the far end of the cuisine line sat a pale blue delivery truck marked Spade's Best. Dave loaded up the drum, but I wasn't about to follow him. I knew where Dave docked, and if all went according to plan, Angel and Owen would be spilling the beans on Spade's best before too long anyway. I waited until the crowd died down and the man in the squeaky wheels truck started to clean up before I walked over. Finally decide on what to eat? Or are you just a man who doesn't like to wait in lines? Spotted me over there, did you? My eye for potential customers is still very keen, even now that we've become quite popular. You know... I used to have to procure clientele by parking outside of lesser establishments in hopes that drunks pouring out would take notice of my food. But these days, I park anywhere from Six Flags to Disneyland, and people beat a path to my passenger door. The food's that good, huh? I'm incredibly proud of my food. If I wasn't, I wouldn't be serving. Alright, what do you recommend? Always the squeaky taco. It's the house specialty. Sounds good. Uh, add an order of those beer-battered onion rings, too, would you? You got it. Anything to drink? Yeah, um, I'll have a beer. Sure. Though I should warn you, it's non-alcoholic. A bar food truck that doesn't have any bar drinks. <laughs> I wish we did. City doesn't give liquor licenses to food trucks. And from what I've come to understand, there's been quite a shortage of alcohol around town. Hey, not if you know where to look. Say, wasn't that the Spade's best truck I saw pulling away from here earlier? Sure was. He buys used grease and sells it for recycling. A completely regular and legal practice, officer... The Mr. Dime. Jack Dime. Vance Valadini. I'm sorry, from the line of questioning, I had assumed you were a policeman. You wouldn't be the first. Did you still want that beer? Even without the edge? Yeah, sure. You know, I don't think I've ever had a non-alcoholic beer before, and I'm trying new things these days. It may not actually do the job, but you can't hope for a nice placebo effect. 
And nothing washes down some fried food better than cold suds. Well, then why not open a bar or restaurant? Serve actual beer with your grub. Ever hear of Audible Burger? <laughs> yeah, the ones that crunch when you bite into them? They're everywhere. Exactly. Adolf Fisher, the CEO, was my partner. He had the name, the design elements, the business sense. I had the recipes, the palate. It was my burger, damn it. It didn't take long before he sold me out, went for a corporate gig, and signed contracts to build a national franchise in under a year. Well, I mean, you had to be entitled to some of that. Did you take him to court? Tried. Sued for half, but the quality cuts from the quick expansion that I fought against had altered the recipes far enough from those that I had originated. I was never going to get what I was owed. Ended up settling out of court for just enough to start up the best damn food truck in this town. And now, with this drought, I'm more profitable than ever. Leveled the playing field of food service. Scrimp and save during the good times. Eventually rain comes and droughts end. And vice versa, Vance. Come on, Jack. This is Los Angeles. It would be a desert if the wealthy didn't appreciate a green lawn. This drop could outlast us. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hear plenty of bars are stocked as close as Bakersfield. Please, most people won't even go to the valley. You think they're going to drive all the way to Bakersfield for a drink? Of course not. Not where you can just follow the Spade's best truck around town. I've heard the rumors, and I know what you're implying. Dave, the Spade's driver, I've always known to be a smart man. He likes my food. But what he does is his own business, not mine. Here. One squeaky taco on the house. What makes it squeaky? It's my attempt at a clever motif, implying that everything is either completely or partially fried. It's a brisket hard taco topped with french fries, a house sauce, and pepper jack cheese. Wow. This is delicious. Thank you. You're telling me that with your resume and this recipe, you can't get enough people to invest in a restaurant. Successful investors joke about putting money into restaurants and bars. They're very risky and very expensive to run. You ever been rich, Mr. Dime? Can't say I've had the pleasure. It's no pleasure. It's not about the money. It's about the power money buys. People in power do not want competition. Well, let me throw a little power your way for the near beer, then. Nah, nah, please. I told you. It's on the house. Or, rather, mobile home. That's not necessary, but thank you. We're not rich men yet, you and I. Everybody deserves a free lunch every once in a while. There was no denying that taco was delicious. The sauce was complex and lit up my taste buds. That or maybe free food just always tastes better. Still, I had been driving all over the city and had very little to show for it. $250, a full stomach, and I was mostly sober. Maybe I was acting more like a cop these days. Mars, Google me any information you can on Adolf Fisher, owner of the Audible Burger franchise? Sure, give me a minute. Yes, hello, Marsha. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. Sorry to do this, but I'm with Detective Dime of the Los Angeles Police. He's looking into the recent alcohol shortage around the city and would like to speak to Mr. Fisher as soon as possible. Uh-huh. Oh, we can absolutely make that work. Thank you so much. Can you be in West Hollywood in 15 minutes? Sure. Great. I got you a meeting with Fisher. 
For today? Yeah, in 15 minutes in West Hollywood, 8226 Beverly. Connecticut squeeze again after his last appointment of the day. In 15 minutes. You following me, Jack? Yeah, I, I gotcha. Great, and he thinks you're LAPD, so just don't say anything to the contrary and you'll be fine. You know, I could have just called and scheduled an appointment on my own. Then why didn't you? Now get going before you're late. Traffic on Fairfax looks like garbage and I've got you 12 minutes out. How do you know where I am? Jesus, Jack, learn to use your cell phone. With Fairfax a mess, I doubled back and took Hauser into Martell up to Beverly. The building was only a few stories tall, white brick with well-groomed grounds. What Vance had said didn't make me especially suspicious of Mr. Fisher, just curious to know more. Maybe he didn't know anything about Angel, but he was certainly interested in talking hooch. And something told me Dave didn't work for himself. Mr. Fisher's office was filled with lounge areas, potted plants, glass partitions, and natural light. Fisher, a strapping man of about 50, was dressed as stereotypically Californian as his office was decorated. Flip-flops, shorts, and a comfortable collared linen shirt with the sleeves rolled up. Detective, hello. Did you, uh, did you find parking all right? All right enough. I found a meter a few blocks up. <sighs> a land of drive-ins and drive-throughs and nobody can find parking. My next office will have a parking garage, I assure you that. Uh, may I offer you water, coffee, LaCroix? I'm okay, thanks. Okay, but you should stay hydrated. It was another hot one. Thought it was supposed to cool off, but here we are, sizzling in the sunset. <laughs> That's funny. It's actually the most comfortable I've been all day. The AC feels great. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I meant the greater we. Like, the city itself boiling out there, not, not you and I. At least, I should hope not. I paid a lot of money for a temperature-controlled environment. Anyway, it's, uh, it's been a long day, I have dinner reservations, and I'd love to get in a few cocktails before my guests arrive. So, you have some information as to where all my alcohol deliveries have been going? Now, Mr. Fisher, with all due respect, with one breath you're having cocktails, and the next you're asking where the booze is? Seems to me like you might already know. Detective, there isn't a crisis on earth you can't buy your way out of. I know places that keep a bottle with my name on it behind their bar. Getting myself a drink is no problem. Getting 25 Greater Los Angeles Audible locations stocked in a town parched and laden with depravity? That's where I was hoping you'd be helping out. The fact that you think I could possibly be a suspect tells me you are absolutely nowhere on this case. Whoa, easy. I I'm working on it. Uh I'm actually interested in your relationship with Vance Valadini. A uh, talented chef, but an angry and spiteful little man. Is he the one doing this? Well, it clearly doesn't surprise you to hear that he could be behind such a large operation. He has been a thorn in my business since we separated. Vance Valadini tried to take everything I had through the courts, every percentage of ownership of Audible Burger. Wasn't he entitled to at least half? I was under the impression you were partners. Absolutely. Only... He was against the $65 million deal that I had brokered with HFC to make us a national franchise, but he let it happen anyway. Let the money come in and then came to me and said he wanted out. Argued that he was never consulted, that he never wanted this corporate future for his restaurant. So he came after it all. Every penny. Would have, would have closed the whole chain if he could. Why couldn't he? Didn't trust that selling a large share of our business to a restaurant firm would actually pay off. Thought... We'd lose standards, that we'd lose respectability, which would lose customers. He had me draw up contracts nearly absolving himself of any participation in the corporate expansion. And you were so sure that it would work. You ever hear the first million is the hardest? Sure I have. Well, 
let's just say that if it comes as easy as someone offering you $65 million for a cheeseburger, you take it. That's the American dream. Yet the recipe belonged to Vance. Henry Ford didn't invent the car. He found a way to make it extremely profitable. So, Vance had a good burger patty. I could throw a rock in this town and find a good burger. I had the idea to coat the patty in crushed cornflakes to give them their crunch. And then that little twist is what made us stand out in a paradise of cheeseburgers. So you tell me what belongs to whom. So why the change in recipes right before the trial? It was incidental to the expansion. You have to cut costs of the individual locations when building in bulk like that. And thankfully, the lawyers found that it gave me a healthy edge when it came to the settlement. And you've had contact with Mr. Valadini since? Not directly, but I've kept tabs on that bastard, his little food truck. Heard rumors he was trying to pay off health inspectors to hassle my stores, and I'm pretty sure he's had spam bots load my Yelp pages with terrible reviews, but I have not spoken to him directly since before the lawsuit even started. Vance had made it sound like Adolf had taken him to the cleaners for cornflakes. Only he had neglected to mention that it was $65 million cereal. I trusted Vance as far as I could throw him, but I doubted the scope of his resources. Adolf was the power player who could divert or delay a city's supply of moonshine, and he had just the ego to do so. But he worked for HFC, who owns Acapulco Beach. So why would Audible Burger be out of booze? And why would Jerry's be stocked? How does he fit into all of this? I'll have to ask that Dave guy the next time I see him. It was time to get Owen to Angel, to get Angel to Misty, to get Misty to pay me the rest of my money. Back to the west side. The freeways should be clear. When I got to Acapulco Beach, they were already closed. The front door was locked, the bar stools were up, and the lights were off. Earlier than I had expected. I went to the alley in the back in hopes of finding Owen locking up or making his way to his car. Instead, I was less than surprised to find the Spade's best truck, the street lights reflecting off its paint job and turning the whole alley a strange blue. The back door to the bar swung open and I crouched down behind a dumpster. Dave's large, shadowy figure emerged, towing another oil drum on a handcart. As he loaded it onto the back of the truck, I hustled back to my car and waited for Spade's best to pull out of the alleyway. Dave headed south past the marina and towards the marshes that led to Playa del Rey. Along Culver Boulevard runs a dry cement basin to the ocean. Originally designed to handle runoff, but now repurposed for skateboarding and drug deals. The Spade's best truck pulled over where the street lights were the fewest and farthest between. I drove on past, but kept one eye on the truck in my rearview mirror. Sure enough, out came Dave, out came the barrel, over the chain link and into the basin. It was a few more minutes before I could turn around on the narrow road to Playa, and by the time I made my way back, Dave's truck was cutting across the marshes, up Jefferson. I had scaled the fence and was only a few feet from the barrel when my shoes hit water, a small stream slowly making its way towards the ocean. A minimal amount of detective work revealed the old barrel had recently received a small puncture hole, which was slowly gulping out tequila into the dry riverbed. Reposado if I knew anything about tequilas. Was this meant for a pickup? Was he disposing of this one because it was leaking? 
Why was Dave dumping a barrel of booze in the middle of nowhere like a mafioso after a hit? Not wanting to waste good tequila or pour away important evidence, I tipped the drum over onto its side. The weight of its contents rushed towards the cap and popped it off. Along with gallons of tequila came Owen, hogtied, beaten, and apparently drowned. Whatever he did, he didn't deserve this. I took comfort in believing that if you would have asked Owen how he'd want to go out, drowned in tequila was probably in his top five. Reposado in peace, Owen. Now came the part I hated most. Time to call the cops. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Death at Sunset. For more information, visit deathatsunset.com or follow the show at Death at Sunset on Twitter. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends and neighbors. I'm Carly Walsh saying, remember, no matter how bright the day, no matter how thick the traffic, we'll be back next week with another Death at Sunset.